0: had a little problem with my printer this morning. started eating paper. It's not supposed to do that. It says nothing in a manual about eating paper. It just eats paper. So I'm going to use my, uh, my PDF version, or actually it's a doc version of my file here. So That's right. No, there's no print. And not only that, just don't ask me to go back in my notes because it's a lot harder. All you Kindle users, you think you're so cool. Without paper, you just can't go back that easy. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) So let's begin. (laughs) That's right. So we started talking about the the makeup of Proverbs. Now, like I said, I said this last week that we're going to look at the three books of Solomon in the context of what they really meant from Solomon's point of view. We're going to look at them and, of course, we're going to look at what God wants us to get out of them. But I want you to understand that the wisest man who ever lived, who ever walked the face of the earth, God had him write three books. And we saw last week, and I think we talked about the week before, that the three books he wrote really chronicle his life. Because he wrote them in the three distinct phases of his life, which we all go through, right? Our young and vibrant phase a middle age phase which you know i i, heard, I told you my, this plaque my father had that said we get too soon old and too late smart yeah. it's like anybody ask you if you're a middle aged or even lo- older than that now if you i uh, want to be 20 years old again you wouldn't say yes if you could give me the body and the and the muscle tone and uh, yeah but okay no problem but don't i don't want to be 20 years old again if you have to take away what i've learned right and so there's that and then of course there's there's old age where you start to get over that bell curve where you've already started in middle age and you start looking down you realize that there is a finality to your life even when you're christian you know that death does not seem as far off or at least retirement and a change of life you know all things being equal you start looking at life differently through different classes of each phase and that's what i'm trying to say and solomon did those things and so we're going to look at those books uh, in that in that kind of context Uh, we did a lot of analysis of solomon in the first couple weeks in in in, uh, in this class All right, you can open the book of Proverbs to the very first chapter. We're not going to read the book of Proverbs. I mean, that I think is, (laughs) you notice how we don't read a whole book here because that would just, you know, it wouldn't be that good. But what you should do is study that book. And and we talked about the arrangement of the book. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. It seems that that book was, was very well composed to be a book to be remembered, where the precepts in that book. You know, it's not written as a story. There's, as I told you this, and you probably realize this, that there is very little history, very little history in in the book at all, and there's no prophecy. There, well, if you can, you can probably find a couple of nuggets that allude to real, you know, other other points of prophecy or history, but those things are not in that book. Also, it's written in a poetic format. We're going to talk about those a little bit because it's not poetry as you and I have been conditioned to understand poetry. It's actually a more meaningful form, in my opinion, of poetry. Also, because of the way that the Hebrew language is translated into English, or any language translated into another language, you're going to lose some of the thrust, some of the, the, uh, the logic that was put into it. And not only that, in English, how many different translations of the Bible do we have? We have an awful lot of them. Um, so, we're just taking those things into account. The book of Proverbs is actually the, the wisdom of Israel. That's really what this book was about. Like We talked about the Psalms before that, and the Psalms were, were a bunch of things to Israel, but a major, its major function to Israel was a prayer book. You believe it, it's true, but it's, it's hard to think that they did not have the New Testament. And they didn't have all of the Old Testament as written and documented anyway when, when the Psalms were being written. They had to rely on that book for a lot more of God's truth and, his, and understanding his character and his heart. And it was a good cry book. And so we went over the book in that way to understand that. Well, Proverbs is the wisdom of Israel. I took note of it this morning. I went to the first service. Normally we go to the second service. So any of you who have been to the first service, you'll know that uh, Pastor Stan was talking about uh, certain things. about, and He uses an example about Esau. Trading his birthright for a, a silly little bowl of soup, and how ridiculous that sounds. But we trade our our own birthright every day because we're flesh, and we always want it, and we want it now, like Willy Wonka, right? <laughs> I want it, and I want it now, Daddy. You never give me anything I want now, Daddy. So that's what he was talking about. But one of the he was saying that back in those days, in the Old Testament days, moral character, moral fiber, was of supreme importance. Today, in this realm of relativity. Well, you can be moral if you want to be moral, but uh, my morality may be different than your morality. It's like everybody says they have their own truth, and everybody's truth is just as valid as anybody else's, right? They forget that in the old days, what everybody had was an opinion, and everybody's opinion was just as valid as everybody else's. The only difference being is that the only opinion out of anybody's opinion that really mattered was that opinion that that happened to map into what the truth was. It's the same thing with morality. Morality can be anything people want it to be. Like I, I have an example, my uh, my aunt, long passed away now, grew up in the Depression, or was young in the Depression, and my mother was too. And I remember back in the 70s, nobody was lacking for anything. We weren't rich, but we weren't poor, and they weren't either, right? And we used to be sitting in a restaurant, and then she'd take the little packets of sugar, and yeah. pop, put them in the purse. So my mother said to me, "It's like, she's got sugar at home. I know, because she cooks so much with sugar. When she makes the meatballs, she wanted to save on meat, so she put sugar in bread and more bread. than." She was Italian, too. She didn't make a good meatball because she was so concerned about conserving expensive foods. She said, well, that's just because she feels that she needs to take the sugar because of this depression mentality. Now, those of us who have not had any want, because we haven't had anything like that in this country since then, well, we will see it again very shortly. What will people, people do now with a lower moral character when they quietly stood in bread lines and soup lines in, in 1929 and beyond? What do you think they're going to do now? They're going to break into your home now. They're going to kill you now for that bowl of red porridge or chili or whatever you want to call it right? That's the difference. And everybody will say, there'll be your neighbor down the road who like that person. That person's been great. They lent you their tools. They, you have a conversation with them every once in a while. They've been fine. That same person will break into your house and steal your food because in their more own morality, they want to feed their children. Now, to them, that's good. Everything's relative, isn't it? Right? So that's what I'm talking about. We have to rely on this thing and the book of, this book of wisdom speaks very plainly to the fact that living a moral life is the putting into effect of godly wisdom. So, excuse me, the so yeah. class Dave Ramsey there talks about that too, how we can, you know, gold and all that stuff, how he says, don't even, you know, don't even get into buying a lot of gold and stuff, because it's true. You're right. You get into a spot like you're hungry or whatever, water. And and you Virginia, need provision first that's right you, provision first. Again, you can't eat yeah right like in Titanic, all but it doesn't meat also meat mean who cares at that point if you have tons of wells. that's right it doesn't right mean nothing. and again you can only prepare so far too yeah. i mean so you know i like i told you i've done some of that i've got uh, non-perishable foods i have fuel to run my well pump so i can fill my bathtub for some water that's in a whole package of preparing but then again you can only go so far and I could lose that all in a moment if I have an armed, an armed posse come over to my house and say, give me all your stuff or we'll kill your family. I'd have to just give it to them because it's not worth that much because I know that God will protect me. And I don't say that anybody who has armed arms, and they, you should have them. That's fine. But not everybody does. It's like we were just talking about just a little while ago when this, when this thing starts coming and we start seeing tsunamis and things that were supposedly going to eradicate yeah, these. Coast. There you go. You you, you think you're high enough? You better get those high waters on you. Really? I mean, I'm on the hill on 91 right here, right? I'm pretty high over 236. I can see, you know. But when that deluge comes, the whole East Coast is going to be under 15, 20 feet of water. My point is this: no one can do everything to be ready because that also is a slap in the face to God. So I don't fault anybody for doing whatever they feel need the need to do. And that's why I say, if somebody asks me what I'm doing, I'm just telling you what I'm doing. I'm not suggesting you do anything. Okay? I'm just telling you what I'm doing for my family as the head of my home and as, as being responsible. But, you know, my children are going to be going off. So if the stuff hits the fan and they're on the West Coast, I can't protect them or give them anything of my provision. So, so what are you going to do? So I don't worry about it. I just do what I can do and let God sort out the rest. And amen to that. The book of Proverbs, um, it shows a vast difference between those who are wise see, it not only offers wisdom, but it shows a contrast, which I think, you know, it's always good to understand. You, know, you won't know what pure white is unless you can compare it to gray. Or a pure color is, is, if you compare it to another color that is impure, but if you see something in and of itself, that's why this theory of relativity, right? are always relative. Everything's relative to something else. So the book of Proverbs is no different, because yet it does talk about wisdom, but it speaks an awful lot about the fool. <laughs> if you've looked at the book, you know that. It says here, those that follow God's wisdom, and the fool who does his own will in his own way and time, actually choosing destruction. A fool chooses destruction; they choose it. Now that may be hard to believe sometimes, but a fool will choose. You have talked to an Eric. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about this, in, in, hopefully, in a little while here. That there's actually the term "fool" is used in three distinct modes in the Book of Proverbs. And one of them is, is really given to this, the arrogant fool, the fool who will take no counsel. And there's other fools, too. <laughs> you may know some of them. But anyway, th- there, are three, there, are th- actually, there are three Hebrew words that are used in the book of Hebrew, each of them meaning fool, but in a different context. A fool is a fool is a fool. It's like foolishness is so pervasive you can actually pick your flavor. <laughs> Anyway, so the book is arranged as a set of poetically constructed, uh, structured observations of life. And, and that's really what this book is about. Taken together, these are all to be used as instructions which teach godly wisdom as opposed to earthly wisdom. Which is very beautiful in many of its ways, if you think about it. And it's why it's so attractive. That's why it's so attractive. And it has the appearance of making one wise, as Satan touted it, remember with Adam and Eve, and he also tried it with Jesus, didn't he? And he said to Adam and Eve, and he says to people today, that if you do this, you will know, right? Know good from evil, and you shall be as God. Earthly wisdom, if you're not careful, and I'm not careful, can really look a lot like godly wisdom to the human mind who does not know that We heard it this morning. God's thoughts and his ways are much higher than ours. If a person doesn't really understand that, they think that their wisdom can approach the wisdom of God because our wisdom doesn't really look so bad. At the human level, it's actually pretty good because you see so many people who don't even have normal human wisdom or what we might even call common sense. They don't even have that. It's less today, right? So if somebody has common sense today, it seems like they've got an awful lot of wisdom where that person would look like a fool 100 years ago. Everything's relative. So we live in this day and age, and that's what we have to to look, look to. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 1 if you haven't done it, if you're following along here. Being a book of practical instruction for living, it contains almost nothing which may be considered history or prophecy. And again, the value of this book is in its personal, and I underline in my notes here as I was making my notes, personal instruction. Take this personally. Take this very personally. It's for every individual. It's every single life. You know, what the funny thing is, is that there are men and women, uh, let's say, of, of who are Jewish, because, you know, they believe, they, at least they read the Old Testament. And if you look at rabbis, what do they base their lives on? The Old Testament. They base their godliness on and knowing God in the Old Testament. And don't you think that they look at the book of Proverbs? Oh, they have a lot to say about the book of Proverbs. They have a lot to say about every book in the Old Testament. But do they truly know God? No. They're still waiting for the one who already came through them. So how much wisdom do they actually have? But yet, if you look at some of their writings about the book of Proverbs for the non-Christian, it's actually very, very good. And there are people who try in their own will to be wise. And yet, what does God say about them? Yet, they become as fools. But the rabbis, would you say a rabbi is a fool? Well, you got to answer that question, and I hate to say it, but it's got to be in the affirmative. Because they don't know Messiah, who's written throughout the Old Testament, and yet they cannot see him. But I use it in a, in a, in a non-threatening uh, term or a non-pointing wagging my finger at them because this Holy Spirit has not chosen, for whatever reason, to open their eyes. And if someone's eyes have not been chosen to be opened, then they are trying to live the right way, which is a good thing. So they're not part and parcel of their own destruction, per se, as a fool, like we just talked about before, who just runs headlong into life Just because they can and they're just gonna want what they want but let's take a look at Proverbs uh, chapter 1 and uh, 1 to 7 let's ask well let's ask we can't ask him he's gone he's not here but we can allow him through this writing Solomon to introduce this book and its purpose and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into the there are there are divisions in the book which we're gonna sample throughout the next couple weeks we're going to sample, but we're not going to go into it. I want to just give you a flavor of the book. Let's read, let's read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Actually, 1 through 9. Uh, let's see. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, so he identifies himself. At least we know who wrote this piece. <laughs> For attaining wisdom and discipline, which is a good thing from who God said he put on this earth, who was the wisest man to ever live, ever walk the face of this earth. So that's a good idea right there is to know who wrote this and why he's doing it. He wants to impart to each and every person who reads this the gift of wisdom. And, and tying it together is godly wisdom and moral character. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. Verse 3, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Doing, not just wishing you were doing or just you know, waiting for it to happen to you doing what is right and just and fair. Verse 4, for giving prudence to the simple. And by the way, we're going to talk about the definition of simple as used in, uh, in this book. Uh, let's see, giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. That's why you definitely, if you have young children or younger children, you should definitely point them to the book of Proverbs. If you yourself... You know, look at the book of Proverbs. It's saying right here, knowledge and discretion to the young. Now it also says in verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. You know, one of the hallmarks of a fool is they never learn anything because they think they know enough. And then you find out as you get older, at least by default and sometimes, that you realize you didn't know as much as you did, which is the beginning of another increase of wisdom, which he says here, this is also to add to your fund of wisdom that you already have, right? I told you that uh, for children, it's amazing how parents get smarter as they get older, right? Well, this is kind of like that. It's like there's a certain fund of wisdom that we as parents have. And our children have their own version of their own wisdom, what they think is wisdom, until they get old enough to realize, you know, life really doesn't work the way I thought it was, by my truth. by what I learned in school, or what I learned from the videos I watch, or playing the video games, or whatever I do, right? Now, it's really actually my parents were right. It's amazing how smart, you know, you can get as your children get older. But you've got to give them the foundation and then let them decide when it's right, when it actually sticks. You can't force wisdom on anybody. You can't. I know a lot of older people who you would think because of age, right, they have wisdom. We said that in this class before. Age does not necessarily mean wisdom by any stretch of the imagination. And I've also met some very young people who have wisdom far beyond what I would consider their years. Can I just add? Sure. If anybody saw the Diane Sawyer interview with the girl that was abducted when she was 11 by the child pedophile. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that. Very well done. She's written a book about her story, but... In it, she talks about she didn't know she was pregnant, she didn't know the connection of being raped and becoming pregnant, um, and how she raised her children, and she was fed fast food, and had to nurse her children for the first three years, that was all they had. So it was pretty interesting how she said she only had a fifth grade education, and that she learned how to, any semblance of being a mother, by watching TV. Wow, wow. And that she knew there was another kind of family by what she saw. Amazing, that's amazing. So. Isn't that isn't that something though? How that also works so well in the lives of children who have live in normal families that yes, you would. That do something. I mean, not from that right. TV. <laughs> I, I look at look at. And it just came to mind when you said that was um, ABC <coughs> Family Channel, a new kind of family. <coughs> you look garbage. That's on that channel. That children are seeing, that's a new kind of family. And there's all broken homes and and, uh, homosexual parents. And and everybody's got rights to have children. And all these children are fools. The whole thing's foolish, but it's a new kind of family. Have you ever watched Disney films? Yeah. And by the way, Disney owns, at least they did, and I still think they do, touchstone pictures. So you know that they're covering all their bases, just like Fox does. Fox has Fox News, oh, they're wonderful, right? But look at Fox Channel and see the garbage on that channel. They are part of this world like everything else is, so you're absolutely right. By the way, to, to an extension to that thought, what do we look at TV and see? Do we open our minds and just let them tell us what a normal family should be? Huh? But very good, thank we're you. we're using critical thinking. Right. Wisdom. Wisdom. Right. So let the wise listen and add their, their, to their learning, and let the discerning and, and let discerning oh sorry, and let the discerning, those who already discern, like we're just talking about, do you purposely filter what goes into your eyes, your ears, your nose, throat, and mouth, <laughs> no, what you What you allow into your senses, do you purposely discern, or do you automatically have a bias that just either turns off the good things that come in, or a bias that allows the bad things to come in? or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Do You discern. And so it says here, and let the discerning get guidance so that we can, while we're discerning, so that this freshens our filter, you know? Sort of loads new parameters into this filter that we have. This is what this book is about. The conscience. Verse 6, For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Now, I want you to think about this. This is very telling. Who was the one who explained to us why certain parts of Scripture were written as parables. Jesus. That's right. And what did he say about it? So that those that could understand would and those that wouldn't... wouldn't. Right. Those who thought that they were wise would not understand. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why he calls the blank of this world. What does he call? Anybody fill in the blank? Does he call the wise of this world? He calls the... Right, because by the world standard, we're fools. Okay, so that's so absolutely correct. That's exactly what he's saying here. For understanding, understanding Proverbs and parables. So I know that if I study this, it's going to help arm me to go throughout the whole Bible, which to me is a huge parable. It is. Except for some well-stated, blatant black and white facts. You, you realize that what we study here is we study the context of the Bible We put the Bible into context of history, science, especially Israel, right? How many Christians actually do that when they read? How many Christians actually even look at the Old Testament? That's why they're subject to this New Age stuff, because in the New Testament, all they see is love, love, love. And that's why they're so screwy. I hate to say it. But you can pare down the New Testament, and it's a parable for those who truly do not understand, who are willfully foolish. The parable of the virgins. They were willfully foolish. They knew they should have had oil. They knew it. Okay, so this is saying if you do this and you use this book for all of these purposes, you will gain these things. This is the the, uh, specific purpose statement of this book, isn't it? This is what we're reading. And this is a very important one for understanding Proverbs and parables. The sayings and the riddles of the wise, which the wisest man who ever walked the earth and Jesus himself and the prophets wrote in this book. Not Proverbs per se, but I mean in the Bible. That's what he's talking about. Okay? So you're already wise enough if you're studying Scripture and you will have the Holy Spirit filtering these things. Blessed are you who look at this book and gain from this specific purpose statement what this book has to give you. And it's for understanding even more of, what, of the wisdom that is given by the Holy Spirit through the prophets, through Jesus Christ himself, and so forth. You get it? That's what I'm saying. That's what I think this is saying anyway. Then it says in verse 7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's telling you, you can do either one here, so keep going. <laughs> verse 8. After saying that the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, verse 8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake. Your mother's teaching. If you do these things, there will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Now, out of the Ten Commandments, one of them says to love your father and your mother. To obey them, right? Not to love, but to obey them. Isn't that what he's saying right here? And what is the promise of that specific specific commandment as given? Long life. life. that's That's right. That, exactly right it's the only commandment that even says uh, long life and long life there's a qualifier yep. it's not just long life it's long life in the land yes so for us our land is a city whose builder and maker is God Jesus is already preparing that for us right so we can live an already converted life to its fullest in that land which we are citizens of heaven we are not citizens technically of here we're ambassadors here now correct does that make mm-hmm. sense So this is really what he's saying here, and he's amplifying that commandment. But he's saying in the context of wisdom, okay? Hopefully that helps as an introduction to the book. That's a very good and telling specific purpose statement. It seems from the construct of the wisdom in this book that it was designed to be memorized. Do you see how all of those things are in little chunklets? Now, I think personally, I think minds were more um, powerful back in those days. They weren't polluted by all of the things that physical and also from the prince of the power of the air that pollutes our minds, have polluted minds, human minds. I mean, we're so susceptible now to, to anything. Even as Christians, I mean, we have to be sort of cleansed from that. And it takes years. It takes years. I can tell you in my case, it takes years. Maybe you, your case, it takes a little less. But I'm my mind is still being changed. And so all I'm saying here is that this was probably a lot easier to remember because if you look at what this we just read here, which is just the beginning, it actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? If you know Scripture, you know God's heart, you know. So these people back in those days, especially the Jews to whom this was really written, already knew that, and I think that their minds were more stable. They had less competition. And for entertainment, they probably read the Bible, right? They didn't have Netflix. So... Just trying to give you an idea that this book, even though it's hard to believe or harder to believe now because it's difficult for us, our attention spans are so short as it is today that even these little chunklets are harder to absorb. But if you look at somebody who's naturally had a longer attention span, these little chunklets are really easy to remember. In my opinion, I would think that that's the case. Yes. Yes, it is, actually. Oh, you never heard that word before? Oh, I didn't make that one up. To me... Yeah, uh, uh, thanks for asking. Yes, I'm not making words, sometimes I make them up, but this one I didn't. In the computer industry, when you you have to manipulate data to deduplicate it or to do certain <laughs> things, you have to you actually have to parse it by first taking some data and doing some mathematical operations on it and then taking the answer and doing something else with that. So you could take a stream of data and carve it into chunks. And then further, you can take ch- the pieces of the chunk, which are called chunklets. Don't put in on computer science. I okay, I made it up. That's right, you guys know all about that stuff. So these chunklets, as opposed to chocolates. Wait a minute, you had a chunky? Don't tell me you didn't have a chunky. Huh? Right, because I can have chunklets of chocolate. No, get a chunky. Get a chunky. Get, a chunky. get a chunky. They still make the chunky, right? They make chiclets. That's right. Chicklets? chunkies. Don't be a chocolate junkie. Yes. That's so true because even unsafe people they'll even say chunk little chunklets, I guess you would call it out yeah. of the Proverbs. They'll and even I say, say the other day a guy say that, go, Does that come from Proverbs? He had no idea where it came from. No kidding. But he said one of the you know, one of the Proverbs. And he said Does that came from Proverbs. It's just amazing how even like you said, It just that's a good point. It's, it's the a the good X. case in point. Yeah. Actually something. And that's why also some people think that uh, something that comes from Proverbs, which is actually, the opposite can happen too, but you're right. But You're more prone to remember it. But like um, the one that says, God helps those who help themselves, that sounds like it's from Proverbs, but it's from the pit of hell. It actually maps in the worldly wisdom very well, doesn't it? But that's actually a very good point. These little small chunklets, snippets, whatever you want to call them. Maybe they reference it to a fact. And they're doing they're going about their work and being a person who's sleeping and being lazy. Yeah, so that's yeah right, that's right. That yeah, yeah. Feed me, yeah. feed me. It's, it's right, it's sluggard. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and I didn't make she didn't make that word up either. sluggard. <laughs> so this so we call it nuggets. You want to call it nuggets? Nuggets is a real word. Go, okay, yes, to nu- <laughs> call it a nugget? <laughs> we can call it a nugget. It's these little nuggets. But the term proverb itself actually means a very terse or short maxim. That's a good definition of a nugget or a chunklet or whatever. This book in its purest form may be considered as a collection of short sentences, nuggets, chunklets, whatever, conveying moral truth in a concise and pointed and pure form, usually containing a poetic comparison or contrast of ideas. And this to me is what makes it most memorable. Like you say, you know, and I will read some of them as examples. But you know, even Jesus used these kind of examples, and other, and other the prophets too. If you look at the if you look at the scriptures, it'll say, "This is like this, because it's not like that," or "If you do this, you will be as a person who does that." You see what I'm saying? It's this comparison. Because remember, I said every relative, everything's relative to us. So it it, it gives you a statement, of fact, of an idea, and then it supports it or 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 helps. Cement it into your psyche or your mind to make sense by giving you the opposite. That's pretty poetic, if you think about it. And if you look at the New Testament, a lot of it's written like that too. Like, I'll give you an example. You know, a man who does this is likened to a person who does that. Right? If you understand that analogy, then you know exactly what he's trying to convey to you. It's it's really pretty straightforward, and that's what that's what a lot of that's what happens a lot in the Book of Proverbs. So, you don't just actually read through this book, but absorb a little at a time, really realizing that the Proverbs are to our practical life. What the book of Psalms, like I said before, is to our spiritual and devotional life. Does that make sense? Note that uh, that the Proverbs in the book do not argue a case. They don't state a case and then try to build it or try to prove it. They use these statements of, you know, for and against or back and forth like we just talked about. But it assumes making its case in statement of fact or more prolifically and in my point of view in statements of cause and effect. Like I said, if you do this, this will happen, you know, and so forth. So this book is beautiful in its simplicity and its forthrightness. And that's very rare today, isn't it? Something just simple and forthright. In a way, it fulfills its mission to make the simple wise. And that's, some, the, that's the best way to do it is just to, you know, they keep it simple, stupid. And, you know, if you think about it, the willfully um, uh, not too nice among, among us, which we call like politicians or somebody who speaks an awful lot, they don't allow you to say anything, but they will, or they will just tell you and tell you and try to convince you and keep talking and talking and talking. They're the ones who really you have to watch out because the fewer the words, the better in many instances. All right, we're going to wrap up here very shortly because I want to have a couple minutes for this current events because I think it's important that we do that. But I'm just going to wrap up with the outline of the book because there is an actual outline above and beyond that specific purpose statement. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. It's in my notes, by the way. So you don't have to copy it down. This is just for your reference. Uh, is the book's title, purpose, and its motto, its specific purpose statement. We just read pretty much that. We dovetailed into the 13 lessons on wisdom. They're actually 13. And we're going to we're going to detail those as we go along. And that's in one, uh, Proverbs 1, uh, ch- chapter 1 and chapter 9. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to read you all of the breakout in the book. But I'm going to just, it'll be easier if I just give you what, how the book is divided. So we have the 13 lessons on wisdom. And then we have the first book of Solomon. Then we have the book of the wise. We've got to see what that's going to be like. The next section is the sayings of the wise another collection. This is pretty good. Then we have the second book of Solomon. Now remember I told you that Solomon is not the only person who wrote that book. He wrote Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs himself, but it was not only him. He wrote a major piece of the Proverbs, but there's the sayings of Agur, or Agur, Agur I guess is a better way of saying it, and the sayings of Lemuel, and then finally the appendix which is the addendum or the appendix on the end of the book, the virtuous woman, Proverbs 31. Okay, So we're going to study those, a little piece here, a little piece there. We'll study this book by sampling Proverbs from each of these areas with the intent of gaining a feel for the thrust or intent of each section. But, again, don't let this stop you from reading this book on your own as we go during the week. You really should do that. I mean, like I say, for any book. Okay, And then you'll get the... Uh, the things that God wants. Okay, we have about five minutes left or so, I think. <laughs> Hopefully that was a good introduction to the book. We're going to go into the, the f- those 13 uh, uh, lessons on wisdom starting now. I think next week we have class, but we are not going to have a class. If you did not get my email or you do Last not have email. Yeah, so the dates that we will not have class are as follows. If you are wise, you will write this down. <laughs> or come here and just sit. <coughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. The 29th of this month, the 12th of August, the 19th, and then the 26th of August. Oh, so, so one there New York. yeah, the 5th of August. Yeah. I heard there was supposed to be uh, a combined uh, <coughs> Sunday school, but it's not going to happen. So we will have class here the 5th. I got to get here early because I got to set up the chairs because Jim's going to be on vacation. So, but just we will have class that week unless, of course, I don't get the chairs set up then. You That's right, exactly. So I'm going to stop the uh, audio recording right now. And I'm going to go into some current events. And uh, have a nice week.